Join me in prayer one more time, please, this morning. Lord, we confess our need for you today. We come to you today in public, as the assembled body, and in private, many. Whether in sanctuary or in home, we confess our need for your presence. Help us, O Lord, defend us this morning. Move us toward unceasing praise. Lord, we come urged by our need, invited by your promises, called by your Spirit. We enter your presence, worshiping you with godly fear, awed by your majesty, your greatness, and your glory, but encouraged, smitten by your love. Do such a work in me today, God, that as I leave this place, you would reign supreme with me in every thought, every word, every deed. May my heart be purified so that I will work by love. Give me the mind of Christ. Help me to cling to the cross that I would walk in the power of the resurrection. Lord, I came here today because I need the church. I come to you and your word today because I need you. In Jesus' name, and the people said, amen. What are Sunday mornings like for you? I promise you, I didn't get all up in any of your business this morning and then develop this introduction, okay? So just uh, bear with me. What are Sunday mornings like for you? Do you wake up ready to worship the Lord? I mean, do you wake up, are you one of those that goes, it's church day. I don't know what, what it's like for you. Is that the way you wake up? Excited to engage the church family? Those of you that... Um, have not yet been able to gather on site with a congregation. You've been watching online, maybe your church's stream, maybe this morning you're uh, tuned into ours for some reason, and you're like, do you wake up thinking, I can't wait till it starts? Is everybody quiet? Everybody good? Is that how you roll? Or maybe you were having a tremendous sleep last Sunday, one of the best you've had in a while. You'd earned it. You'd waited as long as you could. You'd hit the alarm for the fifth time, and then at the last possible second, you got up out of your bed. You suddenly realized that you had over-punted your coverage, and everything became a big rush. That's probably never happened to any Grace Covenant family members, uh, especially those with kids, right? Maybe getting all the kiddos up, uh, fed, clothed, brushed, and ready in time and then actually getting them to the door and then out the door and in the car, car running out there has become just a big hassle. On the other hand, for some of you, maybe coming to church, maybe coming to the meeting of the saints just seems routine. It's even mundane. You go because it's what you're supposed to do. You, you go because if you don't show up, somebody's going to get up in your business and you go through the motions, really. You go to get it over with. In fact, you bolt as fast as you can. You get here as late as you can and leave as quickly as you can so that you can get on with your day. And you're so happy to get home and enjoy the rest of your Sunday. This morning, we come to Exodus 19, and we're going to see the first large gathering, the first time that God calls together the assembly of the people like this, Moses 
would later describe this in the text as the day of assembly. He calls it that in Deuteronomy 9, 10, and 18. We're going to cover a lot of ground this morning, and so I need you to pay attention. If you're going to take notes, take them fast. Uh, cheat off of your neighbor. It's fine. They won't mind. But I want you to stay engaged this morning. I, I hope that as we look at the people's approach to God, we'll see that in Exodus 19, and then God approaching the people, that'll start in 20, and then we look at the Lord behind the law, we're going to look at the attributes of God revealed through the Ten Commandments. I hope that that will shape us in a way. I hope that it will help us get into the Word so the Word can get into us, right, and help us rethink and maybe even transform our attitudes about Sunday mornings. Now, quick word to all my students in the room. This, this works from elementary to high school. You ready? Hang with me. There are three main players in this covenant that we're going to talk about this morning. There are three main players. I want you to pay attention because I'm going to ask at the end, just my students in the room, if you can identify who the three main players are. It's not even a main point. That's just for you. It's a little side thing. A little scavenger hunt for the youths today, okay? Take with me and look at Exodus 19. We just read verses 1 through 9. I'd like to call your attention to the people's approach to God. I've got four uh, headers this morning. The people's approach to God. Exodus 19. The, the, uh, the people have come into the wilderness of Sinai. I won't go back through all the text. But you'll see that they were called to approach the Lord. You see it play out in verses 1 through 6. We just read that. Many of us think that we can come to God in this day and age anytime we want to. You and I both have friends and family who don't know the Lord, and, and when we talk to them about having a living relationship with God, they say, yeah, 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 I'll get to that someday. Before I check out, I'll check in with the man upstairs, right? We've heard maybe not that adage, but we've heard some spirit or some thought similar to that. The problem with that is the Bible. That's not the way you come to God. You don't get to pick and choose when you come. Jesus would say, no man comes to the Father except by me. Scripture tells us we can't come unless we're drawn by the Spirit to even come to Jesus. God is the one starting that work and initiating the timetable of it. Israel here is called by God to meet with God. You, you can't just have it your way and they can't just have it their way. Now, let's put our thinking caps on for a moment and think back to what they were called out of because when we're called to something, we're leaving something behind. From God's point of view, Egypt was a furnace of affliction for Israel. All of us would see that, right? We see that the slavery and the unkind slavery, it was just terrible. A furnace of affliction. Watch this, though. But Israel, when they push back on God, they would think of it and keep referring to it as like this nest of safety. They would think of it as a nest where at least they had food and shelter and security and they knew what tomorrow held. God delivered them from Egypt because he had something better for them to not only enjoy, but to do. But this meant they had to try their wings out and experience growing pains 
as they move toward maturity. Take your Bibles. It won't be on the screen. Just take your Bibles and look at verse 8 with me. It says there, here's God is reminding them through Moses. He's just reminding them of who he is and what he's done for them. I brought you out of Egypt. And then in verse 8, they seem to get it. Do you see it there? Where the beginning it says of Exodus 19, 8, all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Wow. So Moses is acting as a mediator, young people. Wink. Moses is acting as a mediator between God and the people. We see these three main players play out throughout the whole time together. The people say, everything the Lord says we'll do. Now, he's just kind of told them they're coming out and he's going to tell them something awesome. And they just said, yeah, we're going to do whatever you say. Little did they know what was coming. Moses acts as a mediator, stands in there, tells the people, and every time I say the word mediator, I can't help but think, your mind's already there. New Testament, Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Paul, writing to young Timothy, would say, there's one God, there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but you were already there, many of you in your thinking, I know. Much of chapter 19 deals with and fastens our mind and attention on the holiness of God and the approach of the people. I want us to take note of just a couple of verses before we get to the Ten Commandments, and I'm going to do a quiz, too, to see how well we know the Ten Commandments. I see some of you, like, going, uh-oh, I, um, I hope somebody's louder than me. It's okay. Um, by the way, young people, we've, we've already named those three players. Now, the next test is the Ten Commandments. Notice the preparation. After we see that they were called, they were preparing to meet God. Take your Bibles and look at verses 10 and 11 with me. They came right after what we just said. Verse 10, the Lord says to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. If you look ahead to verse 14, head still in your Bibles there, verse 14. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. That means set them apart, got them prepared, and they washed their garments. Now, th there's a lot more in this chapter that I want you to go read on your own. For time's sake, I'm trying to give you some guidance to help you in your reading this week. But I can't go past this, and it's not just because I'm a parent of five and every day is laundry day at our house. But I want to tell you, there's something about this washing of clothes and changing garments. Now, it is normal for most of us in this room, most, not all, but it is normal for most of us in this room to have access to soap and water on a regular basis. And most of us in the room this morning, and dare say watching online, have access to extra clothes hanging in our closets and neatly folded in our drawers. I say prophetically as a parent to all the parents in here. Children receive that word. Neatly folded in the drawers. Jeez. Okay. Um, all of us probably have access to that. 
I'm so thankful for ministries like Hope Vibes Charlotte that's making sure that our homeless community also has access to soap and water, things that we take for granted, and an extra change of clothes. They're doing a great work. But you need to recognize that in the Bible, an extra set of clothes and regular access to soap and water, those were luxuries for the wealthiest of the wealthy. These people could not take showers daily and they only knew somebody that knew somebody that knew somebody that had sets of clothes stored somewhere. That's why bathing and changing clothes in the Bible times is often associated with the mark of a new beginning. We find examples of this when God restored Adam and Eve and clothed them. When Jacob and his family returned to Bethel. When Joseph was leaving prison, he washed and put on new clothes. Later on in scripture, we see it when lepers are healed and return to society, when David turns back to God. Washing and changing clothes in the Old Testament is very much like what we see in the New Testament when the Bible says if we confess our sins, 1 John 1, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and, you know it, cleanse us of our unrighteousness. 2 Corinthians 7. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion because of the fear of the Lord. Mind you, this is not a casual encounter or a meetup or a drop-in or a drive-by. This is a people preparing to engage the living God. As we move to chapter 20, we take note now there is another party involved and we see not only the people approaching God, but your second header this morning, the God who approaches his people. We move to chapter 20. We move through 19 quickly. Please go back, take time, and read that. 19, and God spoke all these words, verses 1 and 2, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Congregation, we don't often do this. I may have you do it one more time this morning, but I wonder if you would say that verse right there that's on the screen out loud with me. Exodus 20, verse 2. Let's say it together. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Gospel is not an Old Testament word. It comes from the Greek New Testament, but it's an appropriate word to use right here with our eyes fixed on that verse. There is good news of salvation. Watch this. Don't miss this. God is telling them who he is by what he has done. And he has done great things. Make no mistake as we move through the text this morning. Hear me, church. God is the most significant thing about the Ten Commandments. God is the most significant thing about the Ten Commandments. When you pray and talk to God, when you approach a time of worship, you should spend a moment thanking Him for what He has already done for you in Christ. 
you should have a pause that results in a praise as you recognize who God is. This is our God and King, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper, the light in the darkness. Yes, this is our God. That's who he is. We've taken a peek at the approach to God and now this God that is approaching his people and now we have the challenge as we look at the commandments unfold of seeing the Lord of the law. So here's a people that need a lot of preparation to even get near God. Here's God who's coming to them saying this is who I am by what he's done and now God is about to thunder down his law. Okay, interaction time. The law that we're going to quote here is also known as the Ten Commandments. All right, now I'm going to do my best to hear you because you're going to be muffled. So if you make a mistake, it probably nobody will know because of the muffling, right? So a little bit of grace at Grace Covenant this morning. Those of you um, watching online, I'm going to ask you to do something if you can. Get to that comment section if you can so you can comment and see if you can name them all in order. Now, I've got two wink up there that I know know and we know you know so let other people have a chance first and we'll see if we can get some response here we go the first commandment does anybody know what the first commandment was talk to me just talk to me no other gods before me that's awesome so God first I am Lord no other gods before me second commandment all right let's see Adults, sometimes if I can't think of something, I'll just kind of look up and the words will kind of come to me. What do you think it is? Okay, yeah, good. No idols, no graven images. Actually, I got a verse quoted there. Awesome. Third commandment. I thought that was a third commandment. Third commandment. What is it? Man, you guys, you're awesome. Y'all know this way better than I thought. Honor my name. Fourth commandment. The Sabbath, right, yeah, good job, you guys are amazing. Okay, so those kind of deal with God and our relationship, covenant relationship to God, and now we see our relationship to people. Number five, here we go, five. Honor your, every parent, just like honor your father and mother and the Lord. <laughs> this is good. We're only legalists about that one at home, right? Honor your parents. Number six, don't murder important the murder there is used on purpose i'll come back to that number seven don't commit adultery number eight don't steal uh it's tax season y'all just remember that number nine don't lie and number ten don't covet what well, congregation i am impressed excellent i'm sure you guys nailed it online as well there you go there are the Ten Commandments. It's a great summary of ten divine rules for human conduct. They cover religion and worship and reverence and time and authority and life and purity and property and tongue and contentment, all those things. But let's zoom out for just a moment to my pilot in the room and my Delta pilot friend who may be watching this morning to a 30,000-foot cruising altitude or whatever your engines allow you to cruise at. Let's get a high view here and just see if we were to group those because they can be pretty beautifully grouped into two categories. This isn't a newsflash to any Bible student in the room, but the first four and the second six, really two groups, love God and love people. 
love God and love people. The first four hang on the command to love God. They describe ways to show covenantal loyalty directly to God. The second or the remaining six, if you will, hang on the command to love neighbor as self. Now, for those of you scholars in the room, let me bring this out. It is true that the last six are comparable to some of the law codes in the ancient Near Eastern world. It's true. They shared very similar laws and codes in the Near East world. But the first four are unparalleled in any other culture. Israel's exclusive devotion to Yahweh set them apart from all other nations. I know your mind is already there, but aren't you thinking about Jesus when that Lawyer says to him, what's the great commandment? Tell us, which one of these is the most important? And Jesus responds and says what? You shall love the Lord your God, say it with me, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. That's the first four. Second thing he says, next verse, and the second is like this. Say it with me. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets wow now at some later date i would love to do a series on the ten commandments and show just how gospel saturated each of them can be jesus used the ten commandments as an approach to witness we'll see that later on in our time this morning that's not what i'm going to do this morning this morning remember the point was that we would see the lord of the law so for today i just want us to take note of some of the attributes of god that are revealed through the laws that we know as the Ten Commandments. In the first four commandments, we're reminded about the supremacy of God. Nowhere in Scripture do you find that the Lord is interested in simply being a part of your life. He, he's never asked or made the request just, hey, if you get time, would you consider factoring me in for a few minutes on a Sunday morning, I know it's a bit of an interruption, but you'll be blessed, you'll be encouraged, you'll have a good time. Would you consider just penciling me in occasionally? Because, you know, I'm, I made everything. It'd be nice if you'd invite me in. No, no, no. Our God is an all-consuming fire, and He's after all of you. He will not be relegated to a religious experience alone. In the first commandment, He says, I am first. In the second commandment, he says, don't put any other idols before me. In fact, anything you can't do without, watch me, we're not carving graven images and putting them up and bowing down to them today. We're not relegating things of stone and wood and putting them in our house and, and having moments of worship in the West. We're not doing that, most likely. But anything that you can't do without, anything that you can't stop thinking about, if that's not God, it's an idol. God is a jealous God. I do want us to look at some of the text in 20 together. It's not on the screen. I'm just going to leave the notes on the screen so you have time to write them down. Would you look at verse 5 with me, please, in your Bibles? Exodus 20, verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, he's not jealous in the sense that he's envious of other gods, for he knows that all other gods are figments of the imagination and don't really exist. The word jealous here expresses his love for his people in the same way that a parent is jealous over their children and a spouse is jealous over their mates. So our God is jealous over his beloved and will not tolerate competition. 
This is where one of the first influencers of our culture checked out. She's on record, she's been interviewed multiple times, but Oprah Winfrey says, I cannot serve a God that is so insecure that he describes himself as jealous. Well, it shows her biblical illiteracy, but it also shows that we will drink hook, line, and sinker influencers and their ideology even when they conflict with biblical worldview. Be careful who you listen to. Our God is a jealous God. The third commandment, honor my name. We see the Lord's supremacy. We see his jealousy. We see his holiness, his omnipotence, his eternal existence. Taking the Lord's name in vain is more than just saying his name as a profanity or an expletive laced and attached to something else. It's taking in vain all that has to do with his name, his essence. God is to be highly valued. He is worthy of our highest honor. We were all given names by sinful parents and God named himself, revealing his supreme dominion and authority. In the fourth commandment, honor the Sabbath. We see God it pointing to him as the creator and the sustainer of life. He orders rest and worship into our rhythms of life and work. We that follow the Lord Jesus Christ on this side of the resurrection and on this side of Pentecost assemble on what we call the Lord's Day, Sunday, the first day of the week. They've been doing that since the first century. Christians no longer observe the Sabbath in that way, but we direct our lives towards the Lord's Day in which our lives are refreshed by Him and His death and His resurrection. Church family, let me tell you, Sunday is not just another day to insert church on. Make sure that you take time. Your physician will back me up on this to unplug, to treat the day differently, to turn off the news feeds, to take in creation, and behold our God and King. Your rhythms of your work week should be interrupted by divinity on the Lord's day. Let's look quickly at the remaining commandments and the attributes that show up. In the fifth commandment, honor your parents. We see the Lord's provision and his generosity. We also see his authority. Now, for those of you serious note takers, you're gonna note that I'm saying words and some of them aren't on the screen. If I've already said the attribute, I'm not going to list it again. Okay, that's good. Some of you are proud of me for that. The other graphically minded people would be proud for this. They wouldn't all fit. So I just couldn't get them on there. So provision and his generosity to those that keep it. God didn't provide parents to lord over their children. That's not our role. That, we're not given that authority in Scripture. The authority we're given in Scripture is a God-given authority to help shape our lives, the lives of our children towards submission so they will submit to God. We're shepherding their hearts toward the king. Not just to say yes for a gospel moment and get saved. Oh, if I can just get my kids saved. Right, that's the beginning. They still need to know how to submit after that. The sixth commandment, don't murder. We're reminded that God is the giver of life. Not just life, human life was made in his image. We are to protect our fellow image bearers. This concept here of a premeditated act of aggression that is taking the life of someone motivated by uh, sin some other way pride whatever way God's saying no you don't do that you don't do that for the vulnerable and the voiceless convenience cannot justify murder 
The seventh commandment, don't commit adultery, points us to God's faithfulness, His purity, and His holiness. I don't need to belay that point much this morning except to say that we see marriage as a gospel tract to the world. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. Our marriages are living epistles for the world to read to find Jesus. One of the benefits of marriage is that we get to give ourselves to one another and we have this mate for life and we're just engaged in this thing together. It's incredible to have a partner in that way, but more than that, the Lord sanctifies us as Christians through that process. It's not for everyone, I know that, but I'm grateful for that. Don't commit adultery. The Eighth Commandment, don't steal there's no bullet here because all the attributes are already mentioned, okay? Just, okay, so don't, okay. God is our provider. Rather than stealing or having any sense of entitlement, we should be thankful and have thankful hearts that rejoice in what God has provided for us and we should steward what we have with joyful hearts. The ninth commandment, don't lie. We are reminded of God's truthfulness, the fact that it's impossible for God to lie. Titus 1, 2. Finally, the 10th commandment, don't covet. This one strikes at the very heart of our cultural norm for us right now. We are obsessed with having everything we want, and if somebody else has it, we want legislation to take it from them so we can have it. That's the world that we live in. It's a covetous world. We see recent uh, stock market things happening because of a covetous world. We see things, people wanting something that other people have and doing anything they can to get their hands on it. This cries in the face of God's goodness and his faithfulness and his provision. It also reeks of the sin of discontentment. When we understand these commands, we can see how God has poured himself into them. They not only reflect his holy character, they're not just a list of rules, they are a reflection of God. Let me close with this last point this morning. Young people, Real quick, sideline, have you picked up on the three main players? Do you remember who they were? The first one was God. God. The second one was Moses. Moses. That's my Moses, you like that? Beard and calf. I guess his posture was bad, I don't know. Uh, Moses, the third was the, the people, the Israelites, right? Moses could also be described as a mediator. It's the same today. We people need to come before God, and we need a mediator. It's important to know these laws. I see people saying, man, our young people need to memorize the Ten Commandments. Yes, I think it's good to do that. I think it is important to know them, to memorize them. Jesus would use them in Matthew or Mark rather 10 uh, as a way to engage someone in a gospel encounter. Remember the rich young ruler? I won't go through the text. But the rich young ruler, he says, he says, uh, what do I, must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus starts quoting from the Decalogue. And the, the guy says, I, I, yeah, I got all that. And then Jesus says, go sell everything you have and follow me. And he says, ooh, mm, I'm out. And he leaves, departs, goes away sorrowful. Why? Because that first commitment he had missed. You want to know the haunting truth of this? Before we beat up on him too much, the Bible says in James 2.10, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. 
How can we hope to please the Lord? How can we be saved when we can't even keep the Ten Commandments? Well, there's only one way, the mediator, Jesus Christ. Let me close with some realities about the law. The law was never given as a way of salvation for the Jews or for the Gentiles. Galatians 2 says that we were not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation is not a reward for doing good. Our good works outweighing our bad deeds are not measured that way in heaven. Salvation is the gift of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 4 says, And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, you know it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works, lest anyone should boast. The law reveals God's righteousness. It demands God's righteousness. But it cannot give righteousness. Galatians 2 tells us if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. For our sake, 2 Corinthians 5, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And when you combine those facts, the law wasn't made to save. Salvation's not a reward for our good. You come to the startling conclusion that scripture comes to. We need Jesus. We need the blood of Jesus. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Only the blood of the spotless Lamb of God, our crucified and resurrected King, Jesus Christ, can cleanse us from sin. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The writer of Hebrews said, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. While the musicians are coming now, to prepare for us to respond to the text with worship. Here's my question to you. How did you approach the worship gathering today? How do you stand before the God of this Bible today? How do you stand before his law? How will you come to Jesus? It's worth noting this morning, we're, we're out of time, but for when you go back and read, you'll find that after this law was revealed, the people then say to Moses, we can't handle this. You're going to have to go back and let him talk to you and you talk to us. We can't handle the voice of God like this anymore. I'm thinking of that line. We can't handle the truth. You'll see it when you go back in there. I wonder this morning, will you let the truth handle you? Let's stand and pray. Lord, as the songwriter said, not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Lord, we cast ourselves on Christ, our only hope. When we look in the mirror of your word this morning, we recognize, we see our uncleanness and know that we're in need of a Savior. In Jesus' name, let's worship the Lord together.